and welcome to A Road to Tinue, a King Killer Chronicle fan podcast where we explore everything from the books. We do explore everything from the books, so if you don't want spoilers, make sure you go and read them. Today, I have two very special guests from my very first podcasts. I have Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hello. And Jeff Boltz. Hi, Jeff. Howdy. And hey, guys, how's The Road to Tinue? Pretty good. I'm excited to uh, dig into tonight's topic. Me too. <laughs> Tonight's topic is one that has has a lot of strong feelings for a lot of people about it. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Denna. She's definitely the most divisive character. It's true. You don't see people arguing about Mola like this. No. Everybody you loves should. Mola. You should. She's actually in a mirror, so... <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we start with one of the more common discussions about her, which is age. How old is Denna, and does she age like a human in human time? Yes. Yes? <laughs> yes. I, yeah, she does. I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. I don't think she uh, is any sort of weird fae creature or anything. That doesn't age. I think she's human. Yeah, I tend to think she's human as well, or at least mostly human. (laughs) Mostly human? What do you mean by that? I mean, if Faye can uh, mate with mortals, then presumably somewhere you have people who are part Faye. True. That would would give reasons why she's uh, a little Faye around the uh, edges, just like Kvothas that people describe them as. And why she disappears uh, around the moon a couple of times. I recently read the book, and I think I've got a pretty clear grasp on her age. When Kavoth first meets her on the road to uh, Ymir, he's 15, and he describes her as at least a year older than him. He's pretty confident in that, that that's not... Might not be 100% true, so I'm putting her at 16 at that point. And then from there, I think it's three terms later. He gets into the university, and then three terms later, which is, what, six months, three quarters of a year, he talks to Diok at the Yolian, and he says, he first goes, oh, I first met her two years ago. And then he corrects himself and says, oh, I met her a year and change, which means... By the time Diok probably met her and her first entrance into Ymir, she would have been about 15. Imre? Imre, yeah. Ymir, Imre. I switch it up. <laughs> what do you think about the, those numbers? Um, I was thinking she was closer to 18 when Quoth first met her. Mostly because of his conversation with Diok. So I was thinking she was like two and a half or three years older than him. Hmm. Because, like, when Dayak, when when he says he met her a year and change ago, that was six months after he's already been at the university. So a year and change would have only been three, four more months before Kavoth met her. Yeah. But he said that he chased her when he first met her. Yeah, because he's kind of... I feel kind of... He's, no, he's about, I don't want like, him to be a creep. He's like he he even describes it. He uh, Gavoth says he looks about thirty, 
So, so I'm okay with saying he's about 30. And he even mentions that he was chasing a girl half his age. Half his age is 15. But I didn't think it was literally half his age. I thought she was like closer to like 17 or 18. And it was just. I want to think half that his age too. Was like a, it's just so creepy otherwise. It is. It's a little creepy. But I, I want to think that too. That's how I read it. That's how I visualize it in the book. But yeah, I think. Those numbers are pretty solid from my reading of it. I, I don't have any other context clues other than those two things. So some people think that she looks different when he runs into her in the Aeolian, and some people think that perhaps she aged more than he did because she went to Faye. Do we have any thoughts on that theory? I think it's just that she was dressed up. She wasn't in traveling clothes. Yeah, she wasn't probably, the young girl he met. Yeah. Not that's for supernatural almost, almost a year later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, like like she said, like her hair might have been slightly different. And like it even mentions he's about to play and he looks around and he sees a dark eyed girl with dark hair. And you obviously know he just saw her. But he didn't recognize her yet. He sees her in the crowd before he starts playing. But uh, I think, yeah, I think it's just mostly she's in a dress. She's kind of dolled up a little bit. Okay. Speaking of running into her at the Aeolian, before he starts that chapter, Coach says, now we're going to introduce the leading lady who we're all talking about, and there's always a woman. And... Some people will very angrily defend that this is not Denna, that he's talking about Ari or someone else. Thoughts? Ridiculous. I don't think so either. I know people say a lot of the time, they're like, well, he'd already introduced Denna, so he can't possibly be talking about Denna because he said that she's waiting in the wings. But no, I don't think that's the case. Uh, another bit of information on that would be because earlier in the book, when Chronicler's like, and they say there's a woman. When Kavoth gets mad and he's, like, starting to, like... The bottle he breaks is actually oh, strawberry wine. And mm-hmm. that is very clearly representative of Denna. So the woman is Denna. That's almost... When he has Celis flowers growing outside of the inn, despite yeah. the fact that they're incredibly difficult to cultivate, like, clearly, it's obviously it's- about Denna. Do you have anything else you'd like to bring up about while they're at the Aeolian in that first meeting? I have a couple things. Hannah, do you also agree that Kavoth is annoying as hell when he, like, jumps into his super courtly, ooh, hello, madam lady, ooh, and then she's, like, practically forced to, like, play along with, right before then, seemed like she was ready to just, hey, chit-chat, hey. Yeah, I think a lot of the time his just total incompetence around women is is kind of frustrating. Just throws it completely off. But on another note with that in the Aeolian, and I did want to bring this up, the uh, her very specifically saying that she wants to keep him in her debt. He wants to give her, her his talent pipe. He seems very sincere. He probably would have. And she literally says, I would rather you be in my debt in that. And the only reason I bring that up is because in my newest reread, I am actually looking for instances of, like, that might be one of her, like, driving forces in her nature, is not 
ever wanting to be in debt to anybody. Because there's certain instances like where Kavoth saves her in Trebon, that might be a mental thing that she thinks about. Now she's in his debt. And he saves her doing this. Now she's more in his debt. And I think uh, later on in the books, we'll, I'll be able to look and find instances where she tries to pay him back and tries to get out of his debt, even though he is not calculating any of that at all. It might be something that she's just going through. What do you think of that? I would agree with that. I think part of being forced to live on your own and being in a position where often men sort of give her things and do things for her and then end up feeling that they owe her has made her sort of skittish about feeling like she's in someone's debt. Like knowing that if somebody does something for her or saves her, she's always thinking about when they're going to want to cash that in and whether or not she's going to want to give them what they think that they're owed. Hmm. And I do think that that's kind of a driving force in her character. How do you think that interacts with the possibility that she's an escort? That a lot of people say maybe maybe she gets paid for sexing them. I don't think she is an actual escort. I don't, like, uh, because her nature doesn't go for that. Like, uh, obviously there's stuff that happened in her past and all this stuff that makes her weary to whatever. Like, it seems to me that she plays the part of the escort, but doesn't go all the way to the end of what an actual escort is willing to do. Like, she's willing to trade her charm for gifts. She's willing to trade conversations for gifts. She's willing to flirt for the gifts. She's willing to do all this stuff and just, in general, go out with the men for their gifts and stuff. But I don't think she like, actually plans to sleep with them in the end. I think she has a plan already in place on when she is going to leave, no matter what. And I think that's what is her issue with Kavoth, is she spends all this time with Kavoth, but he never pushes, he never... She might have a plan to leave him if it ever happens, but it's not, because he's not being like other men. And that might be what confuses the hell out of her all the time about him because he's not like other men. What do you think, Hannah? Do you think she's a full-fledged courtesan or... I think it was Dayok who made a comment about how a whore can make as much money sitting and talking with someone at a bar as they can in a bedroom. I hope that's actually a comment from the book. Maybe not. Maybe it's from something else totally different. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up. But I do feel like she is definitely selling her charms and selling her presence. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But I don't think it's like a like cash on the dresser kind of thing. No. Um, if anything, she's like a very high class escort men are actually expected to court her before they bed her. I think it's also, she's not, like, thinking it full-fledged ahead. I think she's thinking of it day-to-day. If there's a nice gentleman there who's willing to buy her dinner, then there's dinner. You know, that's all she's, you know, she's got dinner paid. Yeah. For. 
So, and then if they're nice again the next day and they give her a gift there, she accepts it and carries on. But I think she's definitely always got that backup plan. Yeah, always has her eye on the door. Yeah, so I think that that might be why the gentlemen are confused, too, because they are courting her as if she is a courtesan, you know, as if she's, you know, a hooker. Because that's kind of what they know of. They've done that with other women. They've done that. that so they're treating her like one when she's not. And I think that's what also pushes her away because she probably doesn't explain to them in the beginning that this is not leading towards sex, just to let you guys know. Yeah. Do you think that expectation that the men have that she's not really desiring to put out that's a poor choice of words do you think that's part of why she's so flighty i definitely think that's a big part of it is that she doesn't want to be connected to people in ways that she expects them to want to be connected to her well i often think that she came from kind of a noble upbringing Mm -hmm. regardless of how she ended up And there's sort of an expectation in those circles that if you are going to be with a man, you're going to be his wife and run his house and do your duty. It's not going to be so much as romantic relationship as like a business one. And I think that's the kind part of the kind of ties that she doesn't want. She doesn't want to be locked in someone's house. So do you think she's more worried about, romantic emotional entanglements than physical expectations? I think it's both. I think it's most it's that she doesn't want to be possessed. Okay. Both physically and romantically. I agree. We're agreeing so much. I'm I know it's pleasantly really weird. surprised. <laughs> I kind of feel like maybe the world's ending. <laughs> Do we want to skip ahead to Trebon? Trevin? Trebon? Trebon? I pronounce I, I it Trebon. I don't know. I say Trebon. Trebon. Let's, I'm going to look at my 10th anniversary edition into Ew. the pronunciation guide. Oh, I forgot that it's written all. Yeah, I, I don't understand what <laughs> their pronunciation things mean phonetically yeah i had a hard time with that also i mean it's great it's not have it memorized all right what's that long a a tray tray trabin trabin it as in which trabin trabin all right there's your lesson Trabin. If you disagree with us, write me an email. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Trabin. What what happens? She's she's there. He's there. He's there chasing after a fairy tale. Yeah, this is uh, this is where I think they're on equal grounds in debt relation to each other until she's in trouble at Trebon. Trebon? 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 Whatever. 
And uh, <laughs> he literally magically appears and saves her. I think that's the first time that she finds herself legitimately indebted to him. Because we'll find out, you know, in the next book, you know, when, you know, her ridiculous gift of a loot case was, I'm assuming, to pay back a whole bunch of that. First off, in Trib, when he meets her and they are about to leave, I notice that, and she's done it before, her way of leaving kind of irks me. Like, I understand if she wants to get out quick, she wants to, you know, whatever's happening, she wants to leave. But she seems to have a really bad habit of not paying. The hotel she, which one time she stayed at, she just got up and left in the middle of the night without paying her bill. Which, if she's in a rush, I mean, fine or everything, but, like, she could leave some money behind. She did live there. She, And then even in Trayvon, I know they treated her like crap, and they obviously don't deserve the money, but, like, her first instinct was just run out the front door, and Kavoth had to run back in there and throw some cash on the bar. I think that might be one of her issues when running away, is she refuses to pay the debts that she legitimately has. Well, I think a lot of the problem, too, is that sometimes she doesn't actually have the money to pay it. Like, a lot of the time, especially if a man is the one paying the bills, then when he cuts ties, for whatever reason, because she's not giving him what he wants or whatever. That's obviously what happened here. She didn't have any money to pay them with, but I think just the simple act of she literally, her instinct was to go to the back door, and then when that didn't help, she literally just ran out the front door. Which is fine, they totally deserve that, but I I think she does that with everything. Just runs? Just run, like, just runs. Like, I, I'd be curious to find out when she does have the money, if she does the same thing. I haven't picked up any specific times that it says she has money and she does it, but... I'm wondering if she does it those times as well. I remember reading it and about how she she just kind of leaves without paying from from the inns with some frequency. I I don't imagine Imre as being that huge of a town, and I wonder like how does she get to keep staying at inns and hotels there? Well, I doubt she does. That's and she has so many different it. names. So it's not like they're going to know this is the same girl as before if it's a different, if it's at least like a different place than the last time. Yeah. And then if you think about it, it's like a lot of the time it'll be months between her trips to Imre. So assuming, I'm sure that it's not as bad as it is in our world, but I'm sure that there's some sort of like staffing turnover. I guess. So I'm sure she can find somewhere where there's like a new person in charge and she can set up there i bet that's half her day when she gets into a new town making sure she finds a hotel she hasn't you know ran (laughs) out of she has a little black book of places she can't stay anymore and that's the thing that probably burns bridges and that might be why you know she can't go back to certain towns or she's done with tarbian or Mm -hmm. Because that's a little worrying. If she's unwilling to pay the actual debts she does truly owe, you know, that's not a great thing. Hmm. But, could be reasons. Hannah? Thoughts? I don't know. I really don't think that she, like, 
intentionally makes a point of not paying bills when she leaves. I think it's truly just that she's in a situation that's it's kind of like a cycle at this point where she ends up relying heavily on men and then they want more than she's willing to give them. And then she bails and just leaves everything behind. And a lot of the time in those situations, she doesn't have the extra money to pay for these often lavish rooms that the men were putting the bill for before. Well, if the men were footing the bill for the room, I guess it doesn't always count as her not paying the bill because it was their room. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I feel like especially if they're the ones that chose to put her up there, it's not really on her if they decide that they don't want to keep paying suddenly. The one instance I had from it was uh, she left the note for him and said that she was staying at a certain one. And he he even went up to the the guy at the counter and she said, yeah, she was here a few days ago and she did not pay her bill. Just said nothing about anybody else paying it or you know, some man paying off the bills or anything. It could be like she gets herself in a situation that she's hoping to pay it off with, you know, charming them or something like that. And then when that doesn't work, then she runs out because she doesn't have the coin to pay it either. I don't know. That's worth looking further into in the next book and all that. Dear listener, we're kind of focusing on the name of the wind this episode because Denna is such a far-reaching topic. So that's why we're saying the next book and next time, because hopefully there will be a next time when we talk about the next book. So then they go to the Mothin farm to supposedly look for her patron. And as I'm reading it, it's since it's I've read it before, I know that her patron is alive. She knows her patron's alive because he came back and beat her. She knows it, but the whole time she is putting on an act for Kavoth, like, uh, you know, getting him to help her look for him. And every time he has an idea, oh, he could be over there with a campfire, she knows it's not true. But she still plays along with it, with this. I'm not quite sure what game she was playing at with that. She was so reluctant not to tell him that he hit her, and he knows that he's alive, that she was keeping that the secret, and that's why she kept going along with the farce of looking for him. Or if she legitimately was looking, like, she could have, like, after getting beaten by him, still wonder where he went off to after that. And still might actually be looking for him, but she seems to give up pretty quick as if, you know, she really does know he's not out there. I thought it was more of a ploy to get to sort of spend time with both in different surroundings than they're usually in because I think a lot of the time she just really doesn't understand both and so that was kind of an opportunity to to maybe get to understand him a little bit better could be it, it could also be she just doesn't have any other plans either so she's kind of just <laughs> yeah, let's see what happens I'll hang out with you whatever oh yeah I, I got nothing but days <laughs> So then she, uh, the whole comedic Dracus cow chicken ordeal. It's all good fun. <laughs> my uh, favorite scene. Like, it's ridiculous Ooh. how much flirting <laughs> goes back and forth between those two. Why is it ridiculous? Well, it's They're not ridiculous. It's more just like mildly thrilling, mildly thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then she gets crazy high. Which is and really I think and I think that's the that's the second time he saved her life in like two days is him, you know, administering care to her while she was drugged. I think that's you know a little bit more tacked onto that debt. And she said a lot of uh, a lot of things while she was drugged up. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> she uh, says that he could push a little more. And uh, he obviously does not take that advice. Because I think he, in his heart, he knows what she might do if he actually did push a little more. Because I think she's saying that out of, it would be nice if he did. But I'm completely uncertain what she actually would do if he did. Yeah, I definitely don't think she knows what he wants from, or what she wants from him any more than he knows what she wants from him. I think she's just super confused on the whole thing. It's very sad, because, like, I by all means do not think that they belong to God, are no. not compatible <laughs> in the slightest. She doesn't know what she wants. He knows what he wants, but he's very careful with it. But in also in the end, I don't think he truly knows what he wants, because Kavoth is the type of guy, like, right now she's a mystery. And he loves solving mysteries, so... I'm almost on the page of if he ever actually solves that mystery of her, he might dump her then because it's no longer interesting. It's kind of like it's kind of like what Fella says. Like she talks about how women find him intriguing, but they also know that he's going to leave them. If the second he figured it out, mm-hmm. Lord. Yeah, it's interesting because like that might be a hundred percent true. Kavoth could just be a com- like not knowingly a complete asshole about it like that. <laughs> and she might completely see that. She might see through that. Like he sees through half of her crap. So maybe she wants to stay a mystery just to keep him, you know, around. He's my stab around. In which technical solutions are found and certain background noises are banished from the podcast. So past that, like, I think the only other thing I can mention in the Trayvon stuff is how she leaves this time around. Kavok goes off and fights the Dracus, and he obviously can't, can't come back that night. And she... It... Drives me a little nuts, only because at that point, she literally had a choice. Like, she would have woken up, found the hillside a complete wreck, and had a very clear trail going to Trayvon and no Kavoth. So she had literally the choice of abandoning him and just leaving, or going in search to see if he's still alive. And she made the choice of just leaving. And I find that kind of disheartening. Did she make the choice, or was the choice made for her? By who? By her patron, or by the villagers? I don't think she ever mentions, like, uh... Well, she... I don't know that she... Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know that she made that choice at all. Anyway, because if you think about it, the Dracus had already completely torn up the area that they were in. So she wakes up after making some drugged confessions 
and she is alone in the middle of nowhere. And so I feel like from her perspective, it's like, okay, I basically bared my soul to him last night and now he's gone. I remember that though. That kind of makes it almost worse. Like I don't remember anything about last night and now he's gone. Yeah. But I don't think your first thought waking up groggy and alone on top of a rock is let me go make sure that my friend who abandoned me while I was drugged is okay. And, and I, the thing is, though, like, there was a... The Dracus is huge. There would have been a very clear trail of it going to Trayvon. Trayvon, but... Uh, I don't know, though, that the trail would have been distinct from the trail that was already all over that area from it tearing up the dinner trees, though. I don't know, like... And if she's super hungover from dinner resin, is she going to really be like, oh, oh, there's a trail heading off towards town? I, but she didn't even try to look for him. Which Well, how do you know? I guess we don't. But it's in her nature to kind of leave quickly. She might have done a quick run around the hill, but other than that, I doubt she did much more than that. Like, when she was at the Aeolian and found her patron, like, I remember reading it and thinking that she stayed there for a while. And then I did my reread, and Deoc's like, yeah, she was here almost an hour. And I'm like, holy shit. Hour? Come on. But he mentions that it's longer than she usually waits for people. I know, and it's it's still frustrating though because it's like, yes, it is longer. She's obviously giving him more attention than she would other people, and give him more benefit of the doubt that she likes him more than other people. But an hour? An hour is actually a really long time when you're sitting by yourself. Well, especially when you're waiting for someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, but... And I don't know if you've ever been an attractive single woman. Um, (laughs) Just once. But uh, I have friends who will get really upset if you leave them at the bar for longer than, like, five minutes. Because the number of men that come to hit on them in that amount of time is just completely ridiculous. And we know that Denna is charming and that people are drawn to her. So I can only imagine how many people approached her in that hour that she was waiting for both. True. And I think Diak even says something along those lines about uh, she turned a few away and then went back with one of them. Not not in that way. He, he's an older turned gentleman. So I don't know. That That's uh, it just something that, that makes me think. I don't know. It, it If she liked Kavoth that much, wouldn't she want to know if he was alive or dead? Not if he was just blowing her off. She knew his plan of trying to kill the Dracus. Oh, I thought you were no, talking no, no, about not the no, 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 now we're talking about the Dracus part. Sorry. But based on what she knew too, she he was pretty confident they'd like multiplied the dose by a whole bunch. She was pretty confident that thing was dead. Like basically, like she trusted him to know how to kill this thing, and he Bloop. up. But she had no reason of knowing that. Oh, wait, am I allowed to curse? I've started blooping, oh, so okay, yes. Oh, cool, sorry. <laughs> but, so there was no way of, for her to know that this thing wasn't dead. As far as she knew, he saved her life and then dumped her there, drugged, and bailed. That might that might be one of the big differences between the two, as Kavoth and Dunn is. Like, she doesn't know if the Dracus is dead or not. She doesn't know if Kavoth is dead or not. And she's okay leaving and 
hopefully figuring it out later, where Kavoth is very curious. He would have checked. Like, he would have ran there and checked to see if she was alive or dead, or if she could get any information from this or that, or if the Dracus was dead or not. I think that might be a just one of the clear differences between the two. I definitely think that he wants answers, whereas she tends to think yeah. that she already has them. Yeah, I definitely like think she, that's the difference mm, between them. Yeah. And if she doesn't have the answer, they're not important enough to venture out for them. It could be. I think that's the last time we see her in the book, right? The thing that I like most about world builders is that, well, and I guess the thing I like most about Hepper International, which is where that money goes, is that it's about sustainability. So you're not just giving something to somebody that's going to help them out for a day or a week, but you're giving them something that is going to help them be able to survive on their own. It's a one-time gift that keeps on giving. And then another focus of Heifer International that I really like is that they encourage the people that they give these gifts to to sort of pass it on. Like, they don't have to pay it back, but if their goats have a baby goat, they're encouraged to pass that along to somebody else and pass along the knowledge that goes with it of how to make that productive. And so if nothing else, you're giving people access to food that they wouldn't have otherwise and generally also giving them another source of income from what they're able to produce with the animals that they're being gifted. So that's what I've always kind of liked about Heifer International. So if you have a little something extra to give, this is the place to give it to. Plus, if you do it through uh, World Builders, then A, you can help Pat feel great because, uh, you know, he puts a lot into this fundraiser and it's a way as a fan that you can kind of give back to him. And B, you can win some really, really awesome things. I've always won at least one thing when I did it, even if it's just a book. It's kind of fun to know that I could win something. <laughs> 